growing up, me and my family would pile into our family Nissan Primera and embark upon our summer holidays, a trip down to Granny and Grandpa's in Cornwall. And excitement levels were absolutely through the roof at this point, except for one thing. Before we get there, the car journey. At least six hours in a non-air-conditioned car, often stretching out to seven hours in this car. And I don't know what you think I might have been like when I was six, seven, eight years old. One of my strengths was definitely not patience. <laughs> Nor was suffering in silence. And so as I tormented my mum and dad for six at least hours of, I'm bored, or are we there yet? My mum and my dad had to very patiently they had to explain to me or say, remember where we are going. Remember why you are currently in the most boring car journey of your life. Remember the sea that is going to be there that you're going to be able to swim in, the beach that you can play in, the ice cream shop, the, the fudge shop that's just around the corner from the ice cream shop. Remember the castle that you can spend a lot of time playing in. Remember the crowning glory of a trip to Granny and Grandpa's, Granny's banana custard. <laughs> remember where we are going. And that was the only way that I could endure it, the only way I could endure this journey, the only way that I could endure six unbroken hours of Radio 4. If you have never been through that as a young child, it will break you, unless you know where you are going and knowing that it is good. And today what I want us to look at is that this is precisely the posture that we need to have as Christians. We need to be a people who are looking forward to what is ahead, in confidence. And in fact, if we are to do well, this is vital for us. Because I don't know if you've noticed, following Jesus is not easy. And it is not meant to be easy. And if we are to endure through all of the hardships and the struggles and the challenges that we face day by day as followers of Jesus... If we are to then go through, not just clinging on, but go through in joy and go through in, in hope and confidence and security. If we are to be a church, the church that we are called to be, to boldly step out into Manchester, proclaiming the gospel, being all that we're called to be, we need to be a people who train ourselves in fixing our eyes on what is ahead and adopting a posture of forward-looking, and so today, if you like message titles, if it helps you if you're taking notes, I'm calling today's message Looking Forward, and we are going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, um, and we, as I said, from, from chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 7, and I'm going to read a bit of a chunk, um, but that's mainly to get context and because it's really good stuff. You'll, you'll see that when we read it. But I'm just going to be focusing on the final three verses that I'm going to read out that we'll, we'll do most of our teaching from today. So from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, the, the words might appear on the screen, but if not, just uh, close your eyes and focus. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death 
for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. At the beginning of the three verses that we're focusing on in verse 16, Paul opens up by saying, so we do not lose heart. Now, if there was anybody, as Paul writes this letter, who you could forgive for losing heart, for feeling a bit discouraged, for thinking, you know what, I'm going to give up on following Jesus and being a Christian. It was Paul. He was one of the first converts to Christianity, and he had been tasked, he'd been given this God-given call of spreading the gospel to the known world, of taking the message of Jesus and establishing churches and groups of believers, laying the foundation in a wide place so that it could take root and then stand the test of time for generations to come. And you think, what? surely the life of this man who has been given such a precious task, he, like that's going to be a good life, right? How has he been met? Persecution, suffering, hardship. He speaks often in this very letter of his hardships, and he uses the language of, it is an unbearable burden that he has been going through, and he is despairing of the many afflictions that he has been facing. And he even at one point lists the whole range of the things that he has been through thus far, talks of wrongful imprisonments that he's been in. He speaks of uh, multiple shipwrecks that he's had to endure. He speaks of being beaten with rods, chased by robbers, deprived of food and drink, hounded out of cities by people he used to call his brothers and his friends. His whole ministry, his whole Christian life has been one of suffering and setback. Surely you think, this guy is just ready to throw in the towel. Call it a day. And yet here, he defiantly declares, we do not lose heart. That our faith is not a faith where we have to stay discouraged. Our faith is not a faith where we have to live in despair. Ours is a faith of hope. Ours is a faith of courage. As Paul then goes on to show in the remainder of these three verses, whatever we are facing, even as we face the hardest circumstances and situations in life, we can endure. And Paul wants to point us towards what is happening in us, what is preparing for us, and the posture that we then need to take as we go on. So we're going to look at each of these three things in terms. What is happening in us is where he starts. As we continue in verse 16, he says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
And he speaks here of the outer self and the inner self. And what he's not doing here is drawing some kind of distinction between the body on the one hand and maybe the spirit and the soul on the other. He's, he's not saying that we're separated or we're two distinct parts. What he's doing rather is he's trying to show this distinction between the two very real things that are going on, saying there is more than one thing happening here. You might only be able to see the one thing, but there's two things going. And first, he starts with the outer self is wasting away. He's saying there is a very real, undeniable sense that for all of us, we are wasting away. Or actually, more specifically, what Paul is trying to say here is that the Christian life, the Christian life is a life of wasting away. As Paul writes, he has been faithfully following Jesus for years now. And what has happened over those years? He has been battered. Paul has been battered by faithfully following Jesus. He must at this point be carrying permanent injuries from what he's going through, been, been through chronic pain. I imagine he potentially is permanently disfigured by the many punishments that he's had to face. And that says nothing of the emotional and psychological turmoil of being wrongfully imprisoned for long stretches, of, uh, of having to bear constant hatred and vitriol from people, and the severing of relationships he's faced. His story is one of complete suffering. And then you see what he does in verse 16. His story is one of suffering, but he then says, our outer self is wasting away. Do you see how he broadens it out and says, this might be my experience, but it's our experience. This is the normal Christian life, is what he says to the Corinthian church, is what he says to us today, to feel battered, to feel bruised, to feel afflicted, that is Christianity. Who wants to respond this morning? <laughs> Who's in? But we need to know this. We need to know that in following Jesus, we are not called to a life of ease. We're not called to a life of just like, oh, it's going to be smooth sailing all the way through. We just expect no rocky patches along the way. Now we're with Jesus. It's just easy street all the way. Because that can sometimes be the temptation of what we believe. No, if we live faithfully, it means we are to face things that will feel like we are wasting away. We are going to encounter hardships. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you're going through a season where it just feels like, I am wasting away. You have, you're just feeling like you're being knocked, you're being bruised. I want you to know this morning, there was a good chance that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. But Paul goes on. Because he says, all of that's happening. But at the same time, there's a second thing. The inner self is being renewed day by day. He says, as we are being battered, as we are being bruised, as we are being storm-tossed, God is at work. The inner self in this day, and today to some extent as well, had the connotations of being the most inner part of your being, the most um, uh, intimate and deepest part of your soul, the most real part almost, the core. And Paul is saying this is the part of you that is being renewed. But he doesn't just say that it's being renewed. No, Paul here gets specific. He gets granular and says he is, you, the inner part of you is being renewed day by day. As you go through hardships, 
Every single day, God is at work. Hear the closeness of God in this. Hear the proximity. Hear the attentiveness of God in our hardest and most challenging moments. It might feel like every single day I'm experiencing intense hardships. I'm being knocked back. I'm stumbling. I'm tempted to despair every single day. Yet as often as we might feel like we are being torn down is as often as he is intimately and deeply at work in the very depth of our being, making us new, building us up, bringing us through to completion. It's exactly what he says in, uh, earlier in the passage that we read three times in three consecutive verses, actually, just repeating, repeating from verse 10. Let me just read it out. He says, We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. Do you see there, three times he points out, three times, through death, life. Through wasting away, renewal. This is remarkable. Because what he's saying is, he's not just saying that the innermost part of us, the core of our being, is, is safe, and protected when things come at us and we're battered and we're bruised and you're going to be okay. Now he says when those things come, it is through the outer side of us, the outer nature of us, wasting away that our inner self then grows. We don't just survive, we grow through it. Only through wasting away are we made new. What would be, do you think, generally speaking, the ways in which you have been taught if you have grown up in church life or been involved in the church for a few years that we grow as Christians? The ways in which we become more holy. I imagine the things that would maybe most point, uh, come to mind would perhaps be powerful encounters of uh, uh, um, Christian festivals or conferences, encounters with God, or perhaps profound preaching and teaching, and, and that's the, the means through which we grow, or Perhaps testimonies of hearing of people healed or God's provision, we might think that builds our faith and helps us to keep going. And maybe podcasts and getting the right Christian content on YouTube and the stuff, just feeding ourselves with the right information and knowledge. Those things are all great. But do you know what I think we do not emphasize enough? That suffering is how we grow. And here it is, in black and white, in God's word. His word to us, that it's through suffering that we are made new. And this doesn't mean that we seek it out, doesn't mean that we try and heap as much misery as we can on ourselves to, you know, accelerate the growth process. But what it does mean is that we don't make life decisions trying to think, okay, I'm just going to try and minimize as much pain and discomfort as I possibly can. Or I'm going to try and avoid suffering at all costs. And when it comes we can know God is at work in me. He is growing me and he is renewing me in a way that he just could not or would not do in any other way. That there is something deep happening within us each time we face opposition and hardship. 
And then having shown what's happening within us, the second thing that Paul then wants to show to us is what is being prepared for us, the glory that is being prepared. Continues in verse 17, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, when we first read the beginning of this verse, where Paul talks about light and momentary affliction, it can sound like Paul has just all of a sudden got completely detached from reality. We think, hang on a second, Paul, you've been through severe beatings, and you've spent years locked up. I know you took a few bangs to the head, but you've been through three shipwrecks. Three shipwrecks. Are you sure this is light and it is momentary? Or out of nowhere, it might just seem like Paul has decided that he's going to like play the hard man a little bit. Be like, shipwrecks, what about them? No worries, mate. Whatever. Just a scratch. A light and momentary affliction. You should see the boat. We might have all of these thoughts going on, were it not for chapter 1, which I've already referenced in passing, where he refers to these many afflictions that he has faced as utterly beyond, utterly burdened beyond our strength. But now, he's referring to these very same afflictions somehow as light and momentary. How can that be? Well, the suffering starts to look very, very different when it is seen in light of what it is leading to in verse 17, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So great and so magnificent is the glory that Paul here has in mind and has in his vision, that when that is in view, next to it, even the darkest night of his soul is seen to be just a blip, just an inconvenience, a mere trifle. And he is not in any way minimizing the pain that he has been through and maybe is going through right now, but he is simply magnifying the glory that is to come. You know when um, sometimes you see a diagram of, uh, I don't know, like the sun or a massive star out there in some far-off galaxy, and the only way that we can be shown how big this is is if they show Earth next to it. And it's just this tiny little golf ball, and this Earth that we live in and that we think is so big, and they show it next to this, this huge star, and it's like, it's a tiny little Earth. Sometimes the only way to express just how huge and weighty something is, is to take something that we already think is absolutely huge and show just how insignificant it is next to it. And that is exactly what Paul is trying to express here. He's trying to say, look, I don't know if you have really any idea of the scale and the size and the weight of the glory that you are going to experience and enter into. It is massive. It is huge what you have to look forward to. This glory that is on the horizon really is big. Nothing can compare to it. That is beyond comparison, he says. It's outside of our frame of reference, what we have to look forward to. He's not saying, look, you're going to one day inherit and walk into a sensible portion of glory. 
You're not even going to get, you know, a generous helping of glory. No, no, no. You are going to step into an eternal weight of glory. This is heavy glory. This is everlasting glory. This is all-consuming glory. Glory, the outward manifestation of the radiant perfection of God and all that he is, that is going to be ours to step into and enjoy as we are welcomed into the fullness of his presence. Just as Hannah was prophesying earlier of the the table that we are invited to, we're invited to a table now. You know, one day we're going to be invited to a table, a proper table, (laughs) a proper feast in the glory of the presence of God. Some of us here, we would have had a taste of of something of God's glory in this earth. But maybe you've had times in Christian conferences or or worship gatherings like this, maybe even on your own, where you're just like, I I knew God was in the room. (laughs) Like, he's here. And and the atmosphere changes. And and you, you start to, as the divine touches earth, you get a sense of something of this, the weight of his glory, of God is here. Maybe you've experienced that, maybe you haven't, but whatever we might have experienced, whatever you might have seen, whatever you might have heard, whatever you might have read about of the glory of God in this life, that is just glory as though it has been reflected to us through a thousand smudged and blurry mirrors along the way. It is diluted glory, it's dulled down glory, it's veiled glory that we have tasted now. What Paul is trying to say here is, on this day, any current reference or understanding of what it means to us to know God's glory and his presence and be with him is going to, in a moment, in just one instance, going to be eclipsed as though the sun itself is rising right in front of our very eyes. It is going to be pure. It is going to be vivid. It is going to be breathtaking. It probably make us take a few steps back as we see him. As we encounter, as Paul says at the end of chapter 3, we behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, who is glory himself. And you know how today, these days, we can't pay attention to anything for more than about 30 seconds. Nothing. Nothing grabs our attention for more than about 30 seconds. Even if there's a TV series, and you're like, I've been waiting months for this, and it's coming towards its conclusion, and you are amped, and you can't wait to watch it, and it's the final episode, and everything's coming to a head, you're still texting at the same time to, to somebody. Or if we're with somebody, and we, just, we want to give our full attention, we want to be present, we want to show them our love, there's still some kind of pull in our heart of like, I'm enjoying this conversation, but in a moment I'm going to check my phone. I don't know why, I'm just going to check my phone. I promise you, I promise you, on this day, when we enter into heaven and we are brought face to face with this glory, there will not be even the slightest inclination in any of our hearts that we might look away for even a moment. There will not even be the slightest twitch of your hand towards your back pocket. There will not be even the merest desire of, this will make a good Instagram story. (laughs) There will not be any motivation. You will not even be able to bear to look away from the beauty that you will be encountering. Every 
singular desire of your heart, every fiber of your being will just be, I want to be there. I want to be here, present in the moment with him now forever. Just to bask in his splendor, just to drink in the presence of our Savior, our treasure, our Lord, Jesus Christ. That's all we'll want. And you see the word in verse 17? Preparing. Again, our afflictions, our sufferings, our hardships are preparing us for this glory. Again, we see that the things that we face and the things that we encounter, they are playing a a positive role. We are gaining from them. They are a necessary component, a a vital ingredient in our journey. They're not just random events, not just inconveniences, not God opposing us, not God showing us that we're on the wrong track, but the path, the only path for us to get to the splendor that awaits. We simply cannot arrive there in all of its glory, without enduring and persevering here, now, in this life. As C.S. Lewis used to say, before the crown, the cross. To reach the glory, first we have to go through the suffering. Before we truly live, we have to die. And you might think first reactions, I'm not sure if I want that. If this was really good news, Surely it would just be the glory, but without the pain. And I can see why it's tempting for us to think that way. But maybe think this way. What greater honor do we have? What higher prize is there than that we would be like Jesus? That we would, when you consider him in the magnificence of his glory and you ponder who he is, what greater reward would there be than being exactly like him in every way? And to be like him is to live like him, to live all of his life, to live the life of glory that comes through suffering. The commentator David Garland summarizes it beautifully. He says, as our outward life conforms more and more to the crucified Christ, our inward life conforms ever more closely to the glorified Christ. Through it all, we become like him. Our great gift is to be like him in every way, to claim our crown of glory through the cross. And again, of course, what this means is it doesn't mean that we can't ask God to take away our suffering. Paul does it in this very letter. Jesus himself did it at Gethsemane. But this is our comfort. If he doesn't take away our suffering, it's not because he doesn't hear us, not because he doesn't care, but that through it we can know our heavenly Father is forming us into the likeness of his Son and he's leading us through the cross so that we might enter into the weight of glory that will one day be ours. And one thing I know is deficient in my own faith and I think it's probably true across the church in our culture, is I just do not live day to day thinking this is where I am going, that this glory is what I am going to be stepping into. I don't think about enough the weight of the glory that is going to be mine, the beauty of life in the fullness of Jesus' presence, that I don't think enough about how long eternal life is going to be. That this day, it really is coming. This is what we're going to step into. It's there, I know it, it's in my head. 
you know, background process filed away somewhere. But we need to live with this front and center in our vision. And it's there that Paul moves on to next and finally in verse 18. As we look, he says, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul here encourages us to look to the things that are unseen. And in the NIV version, it has it as fix our eyes. Not just look, but fix our eyes, which I think is a better translation. It's definitely talking about looking at something and then never taking your eyes off it. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He said, if this is true, shouldn't this absolutely transfix our vision? Shouldn't this grab our attention? Shouldn't we be captivated by the reality of what we have to look forward to? And then as we are completely transfixed, shouldn't we be completely transformed? Shouldn't the way that we live every single day of our lives, if we genuinely know that everything that we've experienced so far and everything that we ever will experience in this life is just merely the build-up to the main event, is just the beginning, the first little chapter of a story that is unfolding. If we really know that, shouldn't it change us? And so Paul is urging, if this is true, we need to live like it is true. So fix your eyes, not on the things that we see, not on the things of the now, but fix your eyes on the things of eternity. Allow your vision and the eyes of your heart to be expanded into the things that are to come. So let me ask you a question. Where are your eyes fixed? There's a Mary Oliver quote. She says that attention is the beginning of adoration. The idea being, where our attention is focused, that is where our heart will also be. We are living through today perhaps the fiercest battle for our attention that mankind has ever faced throughout all of history. There are the richest companies in the world literally spending hundreds of billions of pounds trying to get our attention, trying to get us, trying to get you to fix your eyes on their thing. Whether it's their social media platform, whether it's the series that you just absolutely have to see, whether it's the device, they want to get every single one of your waking moments, and to be honest, the, the, the hours that you should be asleep, fixed on their thing. And what this means is we have to be so diligent, we have to be so intentional that we are going to choose to fix our eyes on the right thing. We are not going to drift into this by default. We all here know what we will drift into by default. Our, our default will be entertainment, it will be ease, our default will be viral content, our default is going to be cat videos, let's be honest. Cat videos are great, they will not lead you into glory. If we want this, we have to choose it. We have to choose to wrench our eyes away from the things that will grab for our attention, and if only just for a few minutes, choose to fix our eyes on that which is eternal, that which is unseen. And then the next day, we do exactly the same thing, maybe just for one minute more. 
What this means is us spending more time in focused study and God's word. It means us spending more time pacing our room, praying to God, would you help me to understand the depths of your character and help me understand where you are taking me? It means spending more time perhaps sat on your bed, silent meditation, asking God to fill your mind on the promises of heaven. Whatever it looks like for you, whatever would help you fix your eyes on the things of eternity, Fix your eyes on the things not seen, but the unseen. This year ahead is going to be good. As we are faithful as a church, we are going to encounter many joys, but we will also face many hardships and many afflictions as we faithfully follow him. This is the normal Christian life. And this has to be our posture. Eyes up fixed on him, looking ahead to all that is to come. Then we will have an unshakable confidence. We know where we are going, and we know it is going to be greater and sweeter than anything else. We will be able to keep walking the way of the cross, getting battered and bruised along the way, because we know what is happening within us, what it's preparing for us as we go. And we will fearlessly, as a people, be able to step out proclaiming the gospel, living out the gospel in the, the, the places that we find ourselves because we know whatever slander, persecution, rejection we might face, it is just a light and momentary affliction before the certainty of the eternal weight of glory. I'd like to invite you to stand just as we finish. We, we won't sing a song to finish. But I do want to create a moment of response for us. We are on the cusp of a busy term, and a busy term is a church, as we as we referred to earlier, students arriving, lots of new people, lunches, home groups, baptisms, lots and lots of activity. I'd imagine for each of us here, as September rolls around, we're on the edge of a uh, lots of personal busyness in one way or another as kids return to school and all of that stuff happens. There'll be joys, and there'll be challenges. And the invitation that I want to make today is just to set your posture for the term. I wonder if you, for this, this summer, maybe it's been a summer where your eyes have not quite been fixed on the right place. Maybe for you it's been more than a summer. And you're like, I just, I, I'm not looking in the right place, and I know it's not doing me good. And you want to get it right as you go into this new term, a bit of a new beginning. Now, I want to set expectations. There's only so, it, it will not get sorted in one response time. This is, as I said, this is a discipline that we live in day by day. But I also believe that in a moment like this, it can be a significant start for us as we choose. Now, I'm going to look away from some of the things. I'm going to get out of some of those bad habits. I'm going to get into some good ones. And so I want to invite you just to, I'm not going to do kind of come to the front response, but more just a moment between you and God that maybe you want to close your eyes. Just invite his presence. Just say, God, I, I want to look to you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have been active throughout our meeting so far, just reminding us that whenever we gather together, you're always with us. And we pray now, Jesus, just for a, a moment of opening the eyes of our hearts.
we humble ourselves before you and, and we say there's no way that we can really grasp these things if it's not for the work of your spirit in us. We can't start to love the things of eternal worth just by somebody telling us about them. We need the spirit to come and awaken ourselves. I want to invite you just to open yourself up and just allow God to come and if he wants to, to, to be doing that in your heart and just gripping your soul with where you are headed. We thank you once again, Jesus, for this remarkable invitation. That the glory ahead is, is so much bigger than the afflictions that we face. And you might just want to use this moment to, in your own heart, don't have to do anything out loud, but just say to Jesus, Jesus, I want this. I, I want to fight for my attention to be on you and to, on the things of my forever future. That's where I want my gaze to be fixed. I, I, I need your help to, to get me there, Jesus, and I need to grow in self-control and discipline and all of those other things. It's always both of those things going on with us. You might just want to take a moment to say sorry to Jesus for where you haven't quite lived this or you've allowed yourself just to get a bit overly focused on other things. Your gaze has been fixed in other places. just to confess that again in your heart before him and say, from, from now, Jesus, I do want it, I want it to be different. And so, Jesus, we pray for your grace upon us. We pray for a, a particular empowering amongst us that we would be people who remember something of this provocation, perhaps going into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and... From it, we're then able to say, okay, no, I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to go for the easy. I'm not going to go for the entertaining. I'm just going to choose to step away from that for a few minutes. I'm going to choose to discipline myself and, and just put my attention elsewhere. We pray, Holy Spirit, come and help us to be this people, to grow in that as well, to have a successful Monday in it, but then also a successful Tuesday. And then Wednesday, we maybe stumble a little bit, but then we, we know your grace and we get back onto it to grow in the discipline of fixing our eyes upon you and all that is ahead. We thank you, Jesus. This is exactly what you want us to do. I want to pray finally that this truth would become a particularly alive in some of us today that are really in the midst of hardship and struggle. That if you are feeling the battering and the bruising of life, that the comfort of God would come. Not just as a felt thing, but that the truth of God would, would enter in as a, an experienced reality of, I, I know God is building me and renewing me in this. And he's leading me to glory. We thank you, Jesus, that your, your comfort has a name. It has truth attached to it. And it has eternal significance.
Help us to be eternally minded people. Looking forward to all that is ahead, we pray. Amen. Amen.